As a child, I made people laugh, but adulthood has rendered me anxious and afraid to be funny. Knock Knock Me Again follows me on an anxiety-inducing experiment to discover whether I can learn to be a stand-up comedian. I travel to people's living rooms, sit them down upon their sofa and perform comedy at them, an excruciating encounter for both parties. My guest and I then discuss the experience over a cup of tea. What went well, what went badly, and most crucially, why? We discuss topics such as context, environment, zeitgeist, subjectivity, comic timing, and lots more. My journey is a piece of social, psychological, and philosophical research addressing questions about mental health and human interaction. This experiment will span one year, from Christmas 2022 to Christmas 2023, when I'll hopefully give a live performance to a crowd, having learned whatever I've learned along the way. This podcast makes the most sense when listened to in order, since a narrative runs through it. I'll be releasing new episodes throughout the year, and I'd love for you to join me on my journey by subscribing to my podcast. I'm Tana Chamberlain, and this is Me Again. Wish me luck. You're going to give me a score out of 10 and any opening remarks. I'm giving you an 8 for being, for provoking so much thought. The score out of 10 might seem quite harsh. Um, (laughs) Still eating biscuits. Actually, you provoked a lot of that. The material was really funny. I'm going to give you a 6. Maybe I wasn't, maybe it wasn't so funny. (laughs) But some of the delivery, um, maybe let the material down. I was actually pretty happy with the jokes. I think a lot of the jokes were good. A solid uh, 4 out of 10. (laughs) But as a first effort, I thought... Good. And then you came in and were, were playing this very kind of uncomfortable... And isn't that what comedy is for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, to make know. you think so hard. Is it? I Mega. it was to make you laugh. Well, we laughed a little too. Almost antisocial kind of... <laughs> were you expecting me to go... Wah, 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 at every, I was every expecting joke? you to be a bit more generous. I'm <laughs> glad... <laughs> yeah. I was just like, why are you so awkward? When I drive up to Birmingham for work, there's always a traffic jam on the road that took me to my old work, an escape room company on the outskirts of the city. So I always sit in the traffic jam and reminisce. Now, I'm a bit worried about causing offence to the people that work there at the escape room company and have worked there for several years, so I simply will not say if the place was a shithole. I'll just tell you that once I went outside and a gust of wind from the underbelly of a lorry blew a tampon in my face, which personally I liked. My boss was awful too. Awful, awful man. We used to absolutely freeze in the winter and we begged for a heater for months and months and then one day our boss came in for a meeting and he's bought one of those tiny little £10 fan heaters from Wilco's and he's slammed it down on the desk before us with the self-importance of feeding the five fucking thousand and told us that because of the expense incurred on the £10 heater from Wilco's, we'd all be getting pay reductions. And then he stacked it over the wire. That was an exaggeration. That didn't happen. But I wouldn't put it past him. You know the type. Put it this way. His name was Brian. I say was Brian because presumably he's had to change it now due to fraudulent animal impersonations, which we'll get on to. The tampon on the face thing was an exaggeration too, by the way. Sorry. It was just a used condom, which I liked. By the way, someone told, me, someone told me I had to litter some jokes into my story, so that's sort of what I'm doing. I kind of wanted to just tell you the story with no jokes, but apparently that's not comedy. So we shall see. 
By the way, I'm going to need you to concentrate on this story with the same intensity that you'd concentrate at a live stand-up gig, i.e. no multitasking, please. Were you at a live stand-up gig, you'd follow the story with rapt attention, fearing that if you didn't, something very funny might go over your head and you'd feel left out from the laughter of the crowd. I need you to imagine the laughter of the crowd too, something I'm learning is no less than essential for stand-up and a rather gaping hole in my podcast series. Returning to the story now about the escape room company I used to work at. I don't know if you're familiar with escape rooms, so I'll explain what they are. Story starts slow, gets better. I don't know if you're familiar with escape rooms, so I'll explain what they are. A group of people get locked in a room and try to escape. And to be honest, if you didn't work that one out for yourself, you might struggle with the rest of the story. Which starts slow, gets better. Turn that oven off, no multitasking, just listen to the story. This is a dictatorship. I don't know if you're familiar with escape. Oh, I did that bit. When I say a group of people get locked in a room, they don't, do they? Because that would be a health and safety nightmare. But it's a game of immersion, isn't it? So we're all just sort of pretending together. That's what immersion is, pretending together. And in case you don't understand the concept, I'll give you a classic example of immersion in day-to-day life. When a group of girls take a photo together and, despite no one having said anything funny, they do this. One, two, three. (laughs) Let's have a look. No, I don't look nice. Do it again. Okay. One, two, three. (laughs) All pretending together. And that's what immersion is. Sort of what stand-up is as well, isn't it? A game of immersion. Everyone's agreed to go along and laugh at all the jokes, all pretending together. And that's what's so special about this podcast series, because it's a little different, because no one pretending together. Just me and my straight face microphone. Anyway, do escape. (laughs) Yeah, we're back to the escape room story. Start slow, gets better. To escape. The group have to solve a set of fairly arbitrary clues. So as Games Master, that was my job, you sort of have to guide the group over the tannoy system whilst assuming various characters. So, for example, in one room, my voice might come out of a deer's head mounted on the wall. So at that point, as Games Master, I'm expected to adopt a Southern American accent to play the character of the deer head. Was the escape room set in America then? No. Why? Oh, I just thought because you had to do the Southern American accent. No. So we had to adopt this Southern American accent, um, which, by the way, literally not one of us could do without being incredibly offensive. I'll do you a little example. Oh, hi. My name's Brian. My boss was a narcissist. My name's Brian. So he's presumably gone to sort of a prop store, theatre prop store, and bought this deer's head, um, which had a plaque underneath it, which said Buck, B-U-C-K the name of the deer, I assume. Um, And Brian pulled off the plaque and had us call it Brian, which, if you remember, was his name. Oh, hi, my name's Brian, and I've been stuck on this wall for several years, and I'm here to help you with anything you may need today. And I can assure you that that accent was better than most days on the job, so I'll let you be the judge. By the way, the... um, semi-detached water the neighbor's house it's really thin and I can hear their conversations word for word most of the time and I must have said that line about seven times whilst practicing for this oh hi my name's Brian and 
I've been stuck on this wall for several years, and I'm here to help you with anything you might need today. And they've not asked me for any help yet. But I reckon many neighbours are too proud to ask for help these days, aren't they? Brian, we need a clue. That's not my neighbours, that's the customers in the escape room game, if you'll remember. Me as Brian the Deerhead communicating with the escape room customers. You'll get there. Story starts slow, gets better. Oh, hi. The clue is, what would you normally do to a candle on your birthday? Blow it out. We've got to blow out the candles. Hallelujah. All you got to do is blow out the quick candles and the magnetically locked door will open up for you. It's just like magic. Brian, we can't blow out the candles. Well, howdy. I forgot to mention that absolutely everything in this room is fucked. So the electronic candles, which are supposed to have motion sensors that react to the stream of air when you blow on them, well, they don't. So I'm going to need you to take the palm of your hand and whack that jagged edge of the plastic candle as hard as you can. I'm just sat in the control room munching on a toastie from Costa. Okay, little Jimmy, did you hear what Brian said? Whack the jagged edge of the candle with the palm of your hand as hard as you can. Ouch! Mum, that really hurts because of the jagged plastic edges. Mmm, it still is working, Brian. I'm going to need you just to keep on trying. Because there ain't nothing I can do from the wall. I'm just a deer head after all. I got no hands. All pretending together. Now I'm delving into a blueberry muffin. <laughs> it's really hurting my hand. Sorry, um, Brian, is there any way you can come and help us? Because Jimmy's really hurt himself now and it still isn't working. Oh. Swallowing blueberry muffin. I'm actually having a sip of my tea. One second. Um. Yeah. No. I'll. I'll come in. Sorry. All right, Jimmy, mate. Don't cry. Happy birthday. So that's an example of a common exchange between Brian, the fraudulent deerhead, and customer. Anyway, the point is, if there is a point. Part of our job was to play these characters over the microphones and put on various accents. Story starts slow, gets better. My colleague, let's call her Sophie, because that's her real name. Really bad at her job. Nice girl. She actually wouldn't even bother with the accents or with the clues. She'd just tell the customers what to do step by step to get them out of the room quickly so she could have a longer vape break. Quite clever, actually. So an example of Sophie as Brian the Deerhead would be something like this. Alright, my name's Brian. If you just put 632 into that padlock at Lutman. How do we um, get 632, Brian? Are we supposed to work out the clue ourselves? Oh no, don't worry about that. Just put 632 in at Lutman. Lovely girl. Bad at her job. So now she's in a position to interview potential employees and one time she asks me if I want to sit in on an interview. Yes, yes, I do want to do that. I think we can all agree that sounds like a lot of fun. Yes, please. 
So a young girl arrives for said interview and Sophie welcomes her into the indescribably dingy reception area and has her take a seat on a sort of stained orangey brown armchair. Setting the scene for you. Story starts slow and gets better. The girl has a used condom on her face from her journey into the building. Just kidding. It was from the previous night. She's Welsh. Kidding again. Too many jokes interrupting the flow of the story. Pace of the jokes feels very awkward when I'm just sat here alone with my microphone. I might perform this set to a group of people for the next episode. What do you reckon? Silence. Never mind. Sophie commences the interview. Why did you leave your last rule? Sophie's not introduced herself or bothered with any nicety. She's got a clipboard upon which she's jotted down a number of interview questions she's found on Google and she's straight to it. Why did you leave your last rule? And the young candidate, let's call her Annabelle, because that's her name, answers, Well, I was asked to leave because I kept turning up late to work. By the way, I never said I could do a Welsh accent either, so don't. Well I, was asked, well, I was asked to leave because I get turning up late to work. Fucking hell. Sophie, unfazed, makes a tick on her clipboard and ploughs on with the next question. Is there anything you'd have done different in your last role? Ah, oh, I look inquisitorially at Annabelle, expecting the answer presumably to be, mm, given my time again, Soph, I'd have turned up punctually to work which is what I intend to do if you give me this job. But instead, Annabelle answers, Well, I regret the bitchiness towards my colleagues. Well, I regret the bitchiness towards my colleagues. Well, I regret... Oh, just leave it. Just leave it. I look from Sophie to Annabelle, mostly just to check that Sophie's computed what Annabelle has said and that being nasty to all her colleagues in her previous job might be somewhat of a crimson flag. But it seems that Sophie's concentrating so much on delivering her Google questions that she's forgetting to listen to Annabelle's answers. So she continues. Next question. This is a good one. Would you be available to cover people when they call in sick on Sundays? That one I actually don't think she found on Google. That one I suspect she wrote herself. As a side note, I actually don't mind it when you call in sick with a hangover every Sunday, Soph. We've all been there. I also don't mind it if you lie about why you're calling in sick. What I can't allow is that you go into graphic detail about your bowel movements, citing IBS as the cause of absence from work, when we both absolutely know the cause is a hangover. Because if I don't say... Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your IBS, mate. That sucks. Then I'm an insensitive asshole. But if I do say, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your IBS, mate. That sucks. Then I'm an irremissibly gullible mug. Would you be available to cover people when they call in sick on Sundays? Annabelle. Probably I would. Because as it happens, I fell out with my whole friendship group lately, so I rarely have any other plans. I see Sophie do another big tick on her clipboard. Can provide Sunday cover. Annabelle's practically waving her red flag around like a huge Welsh dragon breathing fire all over Sophie's clipboard. <gasps> but Sophie's none the wiser. My asthma's quite bad today, which is helpful. The next question is what tips me over the edge? And it goes like this. Can you do a Southern American accent? Sophie, who, if you remember, 
might be difficult too because I said it quite a long time ago now. Can you do a Southern American accent? I look up at Sophie who, if you remember, has never attempted an accent a day in her life and is now positioning the skill as though essential to the role. I look to Annabelle who says that she can indeed do a Southern American accent. I look back to Sophie in anticipation. Surely she isn't going to ask Annabelle to demonstrate a Southern American accent right now. But obviously I desperately hope that she is going to do that. Lo and behold, she does. Can you demonstrate your best Southern American accent? Sophie requests the two-word phrase, howdy, partner. I'm writhing in anticipation. My role here is redundant. I'm literally just being entertained. Yeah, so whenever you're ready, howdy, partner. Oh, what was it again? Yeah, so it's just two words, howdy, partner. Okay. Oh, would you believe I've forgotten it again? What was it again? Yeah, so it's just two words, Audi partner. Okay. Okay. Oh, my mind's all of a flutter. Oh, my mind's all of a flutter, says it twice. (laughs) Just two words, Audi partner. Okay, okay. Howdy, partner. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. Right, well, thanks for coming in. We'll get back to you this afternoon. Annabelle leaves and Sophie turns to me and immediately says, no fucking way am I giving her a job when she got fired from her last place for turning up late. Words fail me for a second as I look at Sophie incredulously. I wonder whether even to bother saying what's on my mind, which of course is, why in God's name did you ask the poor girl to say howdy partner in an American accent when you'd already decided against hiring her after the first question? Yeah, knob. But I must admit I'm surprised to learn that Sophie was listening to Annabelle's responses after all. So instead I say, in it. Because when you work with a Brian, you become a Logan. Thanks for joining me. As mentioned in previous episodes, I don't have a guest in this episode. It's just me, alone for this brief stretch of my, at times, agonising journey. Getting this episode out has been a monumental effort and I feel proud of myself for publishing something because I've been struggling. I'm now going to briefly say something a little deep and then I'll wrap up with some thoughts about two concepts, the Dunning-Kruger effect and the ick. So here goes with the something deep. When you feel like the world believes in you, really believes in you, you are limitless. Able against all odds to access the most creative crevices in your brain and birth something marvellous. It's called the Pygmalion effect. People do better when more is expected of them. So on the flip side, when you feel alone in what you're doing, it's almost impossible even to approach that thing, let alone create something wonderful. Many might support you, care for you and love you without really understanding your goals or truly believing in your ability to achieve them. And despite their best efforts to conceal those doubts and worries, you feel their doubts and worries more loudly and clearly than anything in the world. And that's not their fault. It's not your fault. It just is. If you try to be funny and no one laughs, at first you can laugh at the fact that no one's laughed, reflect with intrigue, try again in high spirits. But when the process is repeated over and over and still no one laughs, you start to disappear inside yourself. 
The good news is that things move in cycles. Regulating myself is by a process of dysregulating myself, feeling the lowest point and then re-regulating or coming out the other side stronger. The Dunning-Kruger Effect A friend reminded me of the Dunning-Kruger Effect, which is a cognitive bias whereby essentially, and now I'm reading directly from the Botanical webpage, people with limited knowledge or competence in a given intellectual or social domain greatly overestimate their own knowledge or competence in that domain relative to objective criteria or to the performance of their peers or of people in general. I'm no longer reading from the Britannica page now. Take any 24-year-old life coach social media influencer as an example. Or another good example is me trying to sound like I know loads about the Dunning-Kruger effect. Anyway, when they start to learn more and more about said thing, they start to realise, oh shoot, the facts that I taught everyone about this thing, well they weren't that accurate or thorough, whoops. And they start to realise how vastly explored said thing has been by others way more wise and competent in said field than themselves and they start to feel a little sheepish and retreat, thinking, perhaps I ought to become a bit more competent in this thing before I continue to blurt out what I think I know. This is awkward. In short, they come back down to earth with a thud. From this lie-lowing, humbler position, they are actually now in a position to start building confidence in line with competence. I think the Dunning-Kruger effect might apply in some way to this podcast series. Let me explain. I started off by thinking, I can produce a podcast series about learning to be a comedian. I have the tools to do that. I'm going to promote the series on social media, document my journey, produce regular material culminating in a big show at the end of the year to celebrate my journey. I have no idea what I'm doing, but that's the whole point. How great is that? In other words, I began with confidence and very little competence. Very soon I began to deflate. With each published episode, I felt flatter. I thought, this is worthless. Why would anyone want to listen to this? I have no idea what I'm doing. Not in a quirky, interesting way, but in a, I'm no longer even bothering to let people know I've posted a new episode because I'm feeling so low and low dejected and embarrassed type of way. Eventually, I could not face publishing another episode. I just let the deadline sail past me and watched it go. And then the next one, thinking, nobody will notice. And they didn't. I felt alone in my journey and deeply humbled. That's where I was two months ago and remained until a few days ago. I'd say I'd reached the coming back down to earth with a thud point on the DK graph, the Dunning-Kruger graph. The good news is it's likely to be all up from here. Hopefully I'll start to grow confidence in line with my competence this time. It's no small achievement that I now have the real experience that comedians speak of, that of feeling dejected and embarrassed. I have that experience under my belt so I'm automatically more competent in the topic. Plus spring is here and the sun is so uplifting and motivational. The ick. The definition of the ick is as follows. By the way, I had a choice between quoting from a Cosmopolitan article and a Guardian article, and I chose the Guardian, so I hope that shows how cultured and investigative I am. The ick is as follows. 
according to the Guardian. A point at which your initial attraction to a person flips into a feeling of disgust. The causes are many and various, but once someone gives you the ick, all desire is killed. You only want to get away. This feeling closely corresponds to the emotion of disgust, a safeguard against contamination. No longer quoting from The Guardian. I once got the ick from someone because I saw them typing really slowly writing their dissertation. On the surface, that's incredibly out of order and judgmental. I know that. But it really turned me and it was outside of my control. Obviously, it wasn't really about the slow typing. I think it was probably more about the lack of drive to get something done, which was a repeating theme with his behaviour. And maybe it just took me a few examples to see it. Once upon a time, when I was about 17, I gave a guy the ick because I showed off that I knew a soldier boy song. Soldier boy up in it, oh, why me crank it, why me roll, why me crank that soldier boy and Superman that horn, now why me you? Yes, I knew the dance too. I sang all the words down the phone, having learned the lyrics off the internet. Why am I talking about the ick? Because I suspect that my podcast gives some people the ick. By the way, I think the ick can be relevant to non-romantic relationships as well. Friendships, acquaintances, etc. That sort of severe uncoolness is window displayed in this podcast series in the same way that it was window displayed when I showed off about the Soldier Boy song. What am I going to do about it? Nothing really. Just keep going. Prove to myself that I can trust my own process. That not everyone has to feel comfortable with my journey. That the whole point in this is to do something pretty uncomfortable. Remind myself that I can't grow without discomfort. And maybe I can't grow without giving a few people the ick. My plans. I'm going to start recording with guests again. I might change the format of the episodes, but I want to reach out to people again. Be vulnerable. I think by recording solo episodes, I'm retreating a bit, going inside myself, hiding, staying safe, withdrawing. I'm also going to start planning ahead for my live, in-person debut stand-up set to a crowd at Christmas. Trust me, I considered cancelling this idea and pretending I never said I'd do it and getting on with my life. But something tells me I need to. Win or lose, I need to follow this through. Please take a minute, if you like, to complete the questionnaire within the episode notes. And now I'm going to leave, because <laughs> I haven't written an ending. <laughs> Me again. Oh no, hang on, hang on, I did that wrong. I've been Tanner Chamberlain, and this has been Me again. I don't know why I whisper that. It's a bit creepy, isn't it? That's probably what gives people the ick, actually. Let me try again. I've been Tanner Chamberlain, and this has been Me again. <laughs>